Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. All right, we're live. We are live. The Lark Duo is live. First time using video. We're going to try this. We'll see. Everyone's been experiencing us as voices up to this point. And now we're we're coming out, dude. We're yeah. coming out of the, I wouldn't say the closet. I mean, I know we're in Pride Month and everything. I wouldn't say we're coming out of the closet. I'm coming out of my, my basement. I'm yeah. in my laundry room, literally, is where I podcast from. So I'm staring at my washer and dryer. This is kind of like my, mm. you know, office right here. But now people get to see the, you know, where we usually are. Yeah, dude. This is a, this, and for me, it varies. Sometimes I'm in this amazing office. Thank you to my good friend, Bill Vecchio. Um, and sometimes I'm in a very large auditorium and sometimes I'm in a children's room. Sometimes I've created a makeshift desk in an old nursery and I have literally podcasted from a supply closet uh, at this building that they, uh, they lend out to me. You're like the MacGyver of podcasting. Yeah, dude. You're like a you're like a nomadic, gypsy, uh, resourceful podcaster. I like that. I like that. That's good. That's always good. surviving, dude. Always surviving. Always making always it, thriving. Making it making it happen, man. That's what making I do. It happen. Making we it do want to say we did not plan for this, but we're both wearing Ebbets Field hats. Uh, this podcast is not sponsored by Ebbets Field, but if it were to become sponsored by Ebbets Field, we would not complain about that. No, no, we wouldn't. We would, and by sponsor, we mean if it was a free hat once a month, <laughs> a free hat free. just like for a, just one, <laughs> like just one. Yeah. I would, I would love to get one of them like 1950s Tampa Bay smokers minor league baseball jerseys they got, bro. I feel like that's inevitable for you to get one of those. Um, I got to get one of these days. I'm going to get the one with the cigar. Well, both of them have the cigar on them. Yeah, those are pretty, pretty good. If you haven't checked it out, just if you, if you know, you know, Ebbets Field. Yeah. Um, but today we are, uh, we're continuing our parable series, Parables of Grace. And today we are talking about what might seem like a really, really straightforward topic. Um, but we're going to come to find out that it's not. And if you have any bit of just honesty with yourself, any bit of self probing, um, you're going to realize that you struggle with this topic. We're talking about forgiveness today. We're talking Oof. about the, the F word, the real F word, the real F word, the one that will make you say lots of F words, um, yes. the real F word. Um, and we're talking about forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness uh, that God forgives with. We're talking mm. about accepting it and extending it. And the parable that we have today is really cushion in between um or after some pretty challenging stuff. So this is going to be, um, man, this is going to be a challenging, but good conversation. And we suspect that it might turn into a two-parter. We don't know. We don't plan these things. So we'll no. see. Yeah, we're going to see. There, there's there's a lot. Oh my gosh, man. It's for me, I always know something that's like really brewing when you're studying, you're diving into what, what Jesus has said, you're thinking through life, you're talking with people, experiences, and you start coming to this conclusion where you're like, dude, I'm I'm rejoicing in this. And at the same time, I'm like, whoa, like this is just there's there's so much depth here. 
and and beauty and wisdom and joy and equal frustration. Yes. So I'm like, yeah, here we go. I would say here we go. Here we here we go. It's a podcast about struggling with forgiveness. And I think Jesus is telling us as people, we're not really good at being forgiven. <laughs> it's like twofold. <laughs> yeah. We're not, we're not very good at being uh, forgiven, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and jump in and read it. Uh, the passage is in Matthew 18, 21, uh, it ends in 35. So for those at home following along um, from the scriptures, Matthew 18, 21 to 35, then Peter came up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How often is this is somebody going to do something against me that I got to forgive? And Jesus said to him, <clears throat> oh, shoot, I've messed it up. My bad. It's one of those where it's like the first verse is on the bottom of your page and you got to flip it halfway through the first sentence. Damn it. <laughs> Please forgive me for screwing that up. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of dough. We're going to do the math for you in a little bit. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a much smaller amount than what the guy was just forgiven. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, man, we got, um, insane debt, insurmountable, unfathomable debt. Yeah. We have uh, shocking forgiveness. Yeah. We have, uh, anger, drama, choking yep. this dude threw his buddy in jail. I'm, I'm glad that that can't happen today. Just like, oh, uh, yeah, this dude needs to go to jail. Take him away. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a jam packed parable here. And what makes this parable uh, equally or even more intriguing is the context, what comes right before this. Yeah. And then what makes it even more challenging is what comes before the challenging verse prior to that. So this whole kind of like, it's a series of Matthew 18 is is challenging. Maybe introduce it. Yeah, man. That's, I think, you know, just to piggyback off what you were saying, you know, if you had to like, just really hone in on this thing and make it real clear, it's like, you basically have the demand for justice and forgiveness. Like these are the two like main things that we see in this. And I think that's, that's part of our struggle, man. Like you just even hearing a story and how it plays out because, you know, justice is needed. If you want, if you want people to straighten up and fly right, justice is needed. If you want people to, to change in the world, to be a better place, that that's the pretty common belief. 
or if you want the um, church to be pure. Yeah. I mean, your, your family, your business, you know, you take it all down the line. Um, forgiveness is often viewed as weak and will only lead to people not learning their lesson, thus the world not changing. Yeah. And I think those are like some pretty common things that we believe. And as much as we hear Jesus saying otherwise, there's still this like tension within us. And, uh, you know, as we were, you know, thinking through this man and like diving into this parable, I came across something that Mark Bergen had written down years ago, a friend of mine back in Chicago and sort of describing this parable. And I feel like it's, it's pretty fitting, dude. And like setting up where the context even goes to. So I just thought it'd be cool to just, just read it, man. Cause I can't say it better than he did. He said, we look at this parable and we find this, that cries for justice feel so right as they rush from our guts into the air of this unjust world. They feel right because they are right. He says, uh, when we have been wronged or witnessed some wrong, it's as though all the cosmos lifts its voice within a, within a chorus of indignation. This is the problem of forgiveness. How can we shut our mouths when our mouths drip with the righteous judgments and demand for the world me made better? Why should we even care to try? He says, it is only when we find ourselves standing opposite that chorus, looking down the barrel of cosmic judgments against our own misdeeds, that we are pressed to search the skies for something kinder than justice. And to our great surprise, when we care to look closely, the chorus of the heavens turns out to be mercy. Jesus invites the world to sing the new and foolish song, lest we cling to our rightness and remain forever out of tune with life himself. Hmm. For some reason, reading that man, like probably seven, you know, eight years ago, was such an aha for me in this, in looking at this parable. Cause I could definitely point to like this just clinging man to justice and the need for it and just wrestling with forgiveness man and yeah. i think i'm not alone in that i think a lot no. of us feel like dude uh you know you know forgiveness man like I, I mean i know i need it but like when you talk about like extending that same kind of reckless forgiveness to others the way jesus has been describing what god is like in the parables that we've already unpacked like i get a little fearful man because it feels like i'm condoning this if i forgive right these people who have done these wrongs mm -hmm. or it feels like uh they're gonna get away with this or it feels like something that they're gonna abuse this or it feels like this act that will that will never lead like i've already said to the world being a better place yep and it's almost like we find sort of like a like a satisfaction man and and not extending the forgiveness we know we need and cling to and rejoice in it's 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 kind of awkward it's kind of odd kind of eerie yeah i would say it's something that definitely doesn't come natural to us um i think that the way that god loves the world and the way he loves us and the way that that forgiveness grace and mercy comes is very it's shocking it's it doesn't seem to be the natural order of things and yeah. so i think it's um i think we're in a good place if we do wrestle with it, I think that's the intended, I think that's the intended response or at least um, uh, like a um, unavoidable response. We should wrestle yeah. with this because it's not, it's not natural. It's very, it's very alien. And um, I, I think, you know, what, you know, Bergen talking about being in tune with life itself. Um, yeah. Like I want to be in tune with life itself as well, but man, I have a hard time. I have a very, very hard time yeah. getting there. I think the thing that comes natural to me is like wanting to choke out, you know, somebody and give them their just desserts. You know, that's a thing that makes yep. a lot of sense uh, to yeah. me, but this parable is, is very, is very challenging because we just got done with the parable of the lost sheep, uh, lost coins 
and lost sons out of Luke 15 in Matthew's um, gospel here. uh, The parable of the lost sheep is what Jesus has just got done sharing that one. So we're like, okay, dang, man, like the shepherd will not be separated from the sheep. He will go to great lengths, right? He will go to great lengths of sacrifice and shame, even unto himself on his way to rescuing lost sheep, finding lost coins, Mm -hmm. loving, unlovable, right? Lost sons. And then there's this really, really, then we have this parable right here, but in between these two passages uh, that really unpack this insane grace, you have this, this passage that is traditionally known as the passage that we use to talk about church discipline or excommunication. And it almost sits there like this clunky. If, if Bergen's talking about being in tune with life itself, You have the parable of the shepherd and the sheep. It's like this music is going along just very, very nicely. Right. And then you have this like, you know, like scratch on the record. like, Yeah. With the lost. It's like, what the the hell was that? And then boom. Okay. It gets back to like playing this, this music of forgiveness, this consistent message that we hear from Jesus. And so there's a challenging context to this. And I think that we owe it to, those who are, are seriously like, you know, students of the scripture and concerned about that to, to dive into that. Yeah. Or in just, I feel like even people who are just kicking the tires, man, of like, who is Jesus and what has he really said? Cause I mean, we definitely can point to a lot of abuses done over the centuries, right. From, you know, from just scriptures that have been grabbed onto and taken out of context. And I think you're right. That's, that's why we need to press in to this. And so here it is. I'll just unpack it like this. Going back to Bergen, you've got cries for justice, the song for it. We love it. Uh, until you find yourself on the opposite end of that, AKA till you look in the mirror and realize, oh crap, <laughs> I, I, I'm flawed and foolish and frail as well. Yeah. Uh, Choking everyone Jesus else out has been fun as I've imagined yeah. myself as the one who's righteous. Yep. And, and so Jesus comes along and he's pointing to what God is like. And we've been seeing that and what we're like. And, and, and I think there's this, this tension that might be building, as you said, the record scratching in and among the disciples who are going, hold on a second. This like unconditional, indiscriminate, reckless grace of God who saves lost sinners out of his own joy. Like that's the business he's in. That's why Jesus has come. The, uh, hold on a minute. This is, this is getting a little... Uh, you know, this is getting a little off. It's getting a little off key now. Okay. And I think it's out of that, that Jesus starts speaking about some of these things. And you can find it in the book of Matthew in chapter 15. And it's almost like a conversation that's taking place after Jesus just got done talking about the God who was like a shepherd who leaves the, right. The one leaves the 99 to find the one and the lost coin. That's sort of like a context that that's coming out of. And so if you go to like, you know, Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 15, um, you'll see, you know, right there, a verse that we read in, in, in our in a podcast a couple episodes episodes ago, like verse thirteen, that he finds. Truly, I say to you, he rejoices uh, over this lost, right, over this lost one that's found, over the ninety nine that never strayed. He says, and then he goes on and says this. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these, not even one of these ones, should perish. Jesus says. But then you get to Matthew fifteen, which goes right into what. Um, I'm sorry, verse fifteen. What what you were what you were talking about. Matthew chapter 18 is a chapter. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, you're getting a little mixed up on your numbers there. Yeah. That Where, what are you then. talking about? You're talking about verse 14. Yeah, that's what Jesus was just saying, which 18, ties 14. in 
Yeah. So that ties out of the parable right. of the lost sheep. It's not my yeah. will, my father, that any of these be lost. Not, not even one of them. But then verse 15, Jesus says this. Hey, uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every, listen to this, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It's like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> wait, wait, hold on a minute. I mean, dude, think about it. I've got people right now that have been, hey, man, love the Lord cast. I've been listening to it. Man, you guys are like unpacking these parables and I'm seeing things I never, I never heard. But just out of curiosity, like you have heard like, like Jesus' take on what to do, man, if people, if people don't really grab onto this grace that he's talking about, haven't you? Right? And there this verse comes. Yeah, we'd love like it's like we'd love grace on the front end, right? Yes. But then it's yep. like, uh, at a certain point, we probably get should get on to uh choking people out and throwing them in dungeons. E there it is. There it is. And so you know, you kind of have like this, this, this little like instance here, man, where Jesus has got these disciples around him. They're not grabbing on to what he's really revealing in the parables. They're kind of wrestling with this conditional, you know what I mean? Unconditional acceptance because they're, they're very accustomed to and very comfortable with conditional acceptance. I would say that's us today, man. We're no different. I always laugh when people talk about like humanity progressing. I'm like, dude, <laughs> the heart <laughs> of humanity and its evil desires, <laughs> its self-centered nature has been the same since day one. Don't, don't be confused. And, uh, but we see this here. And so Jesus gives a response. It seems at first glance, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I just read it. That contradicts everything he's been saying. Yeah. Hold on a minute. Unconditional, indiscriminate, inexhaustible, reckless grace, acceptance, love, pursuit of God to us. And here you are telling me that if my brother sins against me, it's three strikes or you're out. In other words, yeah, you see that lost sheep over there? Yeah. I'm going to give him three chances to make it under the wire. <laughs> if he doesn't, yeah. well, then he's, he's gone to the wolves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And I'm looking, I'm just looking at this thing going, this, this, this can't be it, man. Jesus just got done saying in verse 14, right before he started that, it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that even one of these little ones should perish yeah well but after you're rescued it's three strikes and you're out yeah and so yeah. you see like okay even like let, let let's say you take the traditional understanding of this passage um which we're going to suggest we're going to suggest something that dovetails with the passages that it's cushioned into or that you know come around it let's say you take the traditional passage that jesus is really like laying out something like legit that we need to practice here, yep. which by the way, would have been in tune with the modern like day rabbinical teaching. The modern rabbinical teaching yep. of the day was a three strikes you're out. Like you forgive up to three times. Like there was a limit to mercy, to grace, to forgiveness. This little passage here about excommunication about, you know, you know, go to him, take your brother two more times and then, you know, treat him as this kind of like outcast, so to speak, that would have been very in tune with a modern understanding of how to do and go about things. So yeah. it seems odd to me that Jesus would be bringing up these parables, which are like flipping people's freaking like just like lids right upside mm -hmm. down and challenging every common understanding and going so far above and beyond how they understood the love of God and the grace of God, 
only to come back to something very like very common culturally. Yeah. Unless he's doing something else here. That's the key. Unless he's doing something else here. Unless the master storyteller it knows what's going on in and around him and is doing something else here, which I I mean, I think he is. So so I'm just gonna go back here to this to the same thing that I was just reading. Right after he says this, right? Let him be to you, he says, as a Gentile and a tax collector. Like, whoa, really? Like that that's what we do, three strikes, and then that's that's how we treat them. Jesus says this, verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done, but it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For there were two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as Seven times? Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Yeah. Or some translations will say 70 times, seven times. Which is just a playful of heaven, he says. Shall be compared to a king. And it goes into that story, dude, that you read, the parable you read when we kicked off the podcast. So go ahead. What were you saying? Well, just to let people know, 70 times seven, it's just a playful way to say that there is no end for God's forgiveness. Yeah. Peter, if you don't know. Yeah. If you don't know about Bible characters, Peter's like just this extra dude. He's like always like over the top. Like even when Jesus was washing the disciples feet, just like moments before his passion, his suffering, crucifixion, flogging, all that. Jesus is walking around like washing people's feet. And Peter's like, nope, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm going to wash your feet. And Jesus is like, (laughs) dude, listen, man, like you don't really understand. Like, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Meaning the only way you know me is I serve you, not you serve me. That's not how this relationship goes because it's a one-way love of my love coming to you. And then, so Peter being the extra dude that he is, he goes, then wash my whole body, not just my feet. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I think it's just good to know like who Peter is. He's the same dude that when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he pulls a sword out of a holster of a Roman soldier, which is the equivalent of like pulling a Glock out of like, you know, a cop's like holster to like aim it at these people coming to arrest Jesus. And he lops a dude's ear off. He actually uses it, not threatens to use it. He cuts a soldier's ear off. So Peter's this very extra loyal. He's very logical. Um, Everybody has like this inner Peter, right? And so he hears Jesus say and break down this three strikes you're out, this common excommunication passage. And he was like, "Uh, okay, so how many times should I forgive then? Seven times. And he doubles the cultural allotted amount, he goes above and beyond thinking that he's introducing some very extravagant, reckless, like new radical approach to forgiveness. Like he thinks in his mind, the seven times is, is kind of like what Jesus would be like, there you go, bro. Pat on the back. Awesome. Good job. You're finally getting it. And that's why I think we have to go ahead. I'm just saying, Jesus is like, dude, what you thought was like, what you thought was aligned with this love and forgiveness I've been talking to you about still falls short. Yeah. It's, and I think that's what I, you know, we were saying, like, if you look at these passages and you look at the context of, of what Jesus is saying, okay, what he's coming out of saying, the wrestling that's going on, and then the very next parable that he tells, which we're going to be unpacking here in a minute, I think he's basically setting them up to realize that they're not grabbing on to the whole unconditional operation of God's love and forgiveness. It's this thing called 
grace to rescue humanity, not to reform it, not to improve it. It's improvable. Okay. It literally needs to be resurrected in God himself. It needs to grab on and to live into life itself. Jesus himself. It's its only hope. And they're not grabbing this. So if you take like the whole count and, you know, the whole thing into like, into like your, your mind's view and pull back, Jesus knowing this says, yeah, you know what guys, if somebody sins against you, it's really a three strikes you're out plan. This is how it works. It's again, you brought it up. It's like kind of where the church developed this love affair with excommunication. You get a few chances to get it right, but you'll eventually be shown the door. And I think when we read, we read this and we're like, yeah, man, that's it. And we don't even stop and think this seems like a contradiction Yeah. unless Jesus is saying something else. And he's not contradicting himself unless Jesus is, unless you realize, wait a second, stop reading this through the lens of an ordinary rabbi. Jesus isn't an ordinary rabbi, much less an ordinary Messiah. Okay. He's, he's saying something that's very different from what everyone else in and around him is saying that God is like. So if you take off the religious filter and realize that, you know, you can kind of notice one, Jesus just made it known that God is actively pursuing outcasts with an unconditional acceptance. Okay. That, that's what he's doing. The Gentiles and tax collectors specifically. Bingo. Who he invokes in that passage. Yes. Yeah. The father, as we unpacked in our last you know, podcast, the father runs to his wayward son and restores back to him all that he has before he ever promises to be better and do more. Right. Right. So this is this is this is we have to take this into context. Again, Jesus isn't an ordinary rabbi. He's actually hanging out with Gentiles and tax collectors. He's embracing them. He's loving them. He's accepting them. Gentiles and tax collectors make up the many disciples that are following after Jesus. Matthew himself is a tax collector. Right. So why do we read like, yeah, man, three strikes, dude. Treat them like a tax collector, man. Get on out of here. They don't They don't really believe. They're not really faithful. They're not of the fold. That's, a, that's fake faith, man. Like, hold on a minute. Where did you get treat Gentiles and tax collectors this way? Well, Jesus said to, and you never thought to stop and think for just a minute. Well, how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? No. but So I think, I think people See have, I mean? and I think that they, I, well, first of all, the, the notion that Jesus might be um, like being playful or yeah. being ironic or setting them up is not in the cards. I literally think we think Jesus is just walking around like this Spock like figure, just kind of spitting out, you know, you know, yes, thousand days. And I say unto yous and all this other stuff. And he really is. He's mischievous. He really is very, very, um, he's a rebel. He's yeah. playful. He's, um, He's an antagonist at moments. And so I think even for the average person who would just take this at face value, when you get to that tax collector, treat him like a Gentile kind of a thing, that is an insane uh, paradox and contradiction. And that's always like made major under like class, the classic understanding of this passage just stopped dead in its tracks because you're like, oh, yeah. crap. So I'm supposed to do this whole like three strikes you're out, but then go share meals with them. But in the common understanding is like, Oh, just completely walk away from them and have no fellowship. It's like, no dude, that's the whole, that's the whole context of Luke 15. This man eats with and receives sinners. Yeah. And tax collectors. And so it's, 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 I think the thing that I just found myself looking at and just being in awe of is just as Jesus was setting them up to realize how little they were grabbing on to what he was really declaring. You realize, dude, that 2000 years later, he's still living and moving and doing the very same. We're being thing. set up. You know how many yep. times I've used those verses to exercise what we needed to do to maintain purity, man, within the church that I was leading in for years. 
Oh, and then yeah. justifying that we out of love. This is why we did this because yes. these verses say it right here. And I, I need I'm to say let, like, I'm literally them. <laughs> yeah. I need to let you and everyone who listens to this podcast know that to my shame, to my shame, I have wounded people. I love thinking that I'm doing justice with these passages. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like we're talking down at everyone as much as we're going like, man, we've, we've, we literally bought this hook, line and sinker, just like everyone else did. And I don't mean everyone, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Totally. And so, so G- we see Jesus, like he loves and walks with sinners and tax collectors. He doesn't shun them, but not missing that Jesus goes on and says, listen, whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Verse 18. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. In other words, and I love this. If you choose to tie other sins to them, if you choose to treat them like an outcast who's used up their allotment of grace, then in the end, all you will have is the deadly rule of unforgiveness, dude. And you will carry that deadly rule, the weight of that, the death of that. You will carry that around here and in the hereafter. That's what he's saying there. Which is exactly in alignment with the parable itself. Yeah. And you almost wonder if the, the disciples are going, hold on a second. Wait, wait, what? Right. Cause he's, he's switching again. And then the very next thing is where you brought up where Peter's like, oh, well, you know, listen, Jesus, I know we talked, you've talked a lot about this unconditional, you know, grace and acceptance, but, um, seems like it could be a bit much. And now you're saying it's three strikes you're out, but that seems a little harsh. How about, how about we go for, you know, the number of perfection? How about seven? Forgive him seven times. And again, you're so spot on, dude, and how Peter is. And I remember getting to that point in my journey and going, yeah, man, it's not that. It's 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 this. It's it's the seven times. And before you're that person who, like me in the past, starts to pull out your phone and set up your little note section and starts start, you know what I mean, starts tracking how many times you've forgiven the people that are in and around you. You know what I mean? Keep reading because that's where the checkmate comes. That's where Jesus goes, gotcha. It's not seven times, bro. How about this? How about we, instead of keeping track of how many times you forgive someone and thinking that because you chose the number of perfection, that that's, you know what I mean? That that's it. How about instead we just get back to what I've been saying in the parables? How about if we get back to what God is really like and what he's really doing because of what you and every single person that has or will ever live actually needs? How about if we get back to that unconditional pursuit of my love for you? How about we go perfection times perfection? How about 70 times seven? How's that one? It's like, it's like this is like the ultimate smackdown of like, you know, just religious, you know, being a religious tryhard. You know, it's like, this is the best humanity could muster up is the seven times, you know, like we think we're just going so above and so beyond thinking that, yeah, man, this is what God would have us to do like sacrificing to just forgive that extra time or maybe two extra times, or, you know what, let's double it. Let's go. Let's go six plus one, seven. Right. And the Jesus is Mm -hmm. like, no, dude, you don't understand. Even in your mind, as you're trying to conjure up something that is like extremely gracious, it falls infinitely short to how I actually forgive people. 70 times seven is a way of saying there is no end. That, that mercy and grace and forgiveness is literally a black hole. It is a black hole. There is no end. There are no margins. There are no boundaries. It is exhaustible. It is unfathomable. It is for everyone. Mm, there it is, man. So if we, if we, if you approach this parable thinking that this whole like 70 times seven thing 
is something that we can attain or scarier, scarier yet, I would say something that you are actually already doing, Mm -hmm. then you are absolutely lost. This 70 times seven thing, it should scandalize you. It should challenge you. Absolutely. This parable will be only helpful to us if we see the impossibility of reaching the heights of this 70 times seven of this, of this forgiveness. And to illustrate it, he gives this very basic, simple story of someone who owed a king on uh, an insane amount of money. Yep. Yeah. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, right? The kingdom of God is like a king. You know what I mean? Who was owed, you know what I mean? By his servant. No, check out. I love what it says. It says it should be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts. It speaks right to the king's heart, like right from the get. He wishes to settle accounts like yep. in eternity past. God wished to settle accounts. He yeah, wanted- he's not saying there aren't infractions and debts and, yes. you know, things that are rightly owed. You know what I mean? Yes. That's why the, the cries of justice drip. So, so, you know, fluently and eloquently, you know what I mean? Like off of our lips as we sing this chorus and they so feel it's, good. It's, it's right. And they feel right. Yes. There is a yeah. rightness. There's a rightness yep. to it. No doubt. <laughs> right. In fact, I think for forgiveness, death. I, think, <laughs> I think we should struggle with forgiveness precisely because the debt is real. Yeah. Precisely because the hurt is real. Yeah. Yeah. Because he says like, you know, this king is, he's like a wealthy bookkeeper, right? When we, when you get into the parable, it's picks up in like verse 21, um, actually, you know, specific to like verse 23, but still you find that the king is a wealthy bookkeeper. The servant is basically is as good as dead uh, with a, with a debt that stands. This is huge. This is this. I think Jesus says it this way to them. He gives this number when he tells the parable to help us realize how it just, how unattainable man, the repaying of this debt is right. kind of like how unattainable it is to keep track of how many times you're going to need to forgive hmm. others. Bro, it's like the master storyteller, man. Once again, the equivalent of the debt, man, that's owed is three and a half billion dollars. That is 200,000 years of labor. That is 60 million working days for him to repay what he owes, man. So this is not some stable. I like how he says, have have patience (laughs) with me. Right. Have patience. Hey, hey, be patient. It's only three point five billion dollars. Be patient. It's never going to come back. It's It's never going to come back. Yeah. But again, like that, that's what I love about this isn't a some stable boy here, man. This dude had to have some real clout in the king's business to accrue that kind of debt. All right. And this like no nonsense king. And I think that's the shift, man, for me in the story is seeing that the king is just and right and demanding what he's owed. He's a no-nonsense king, that, but he moves from what he's rightly owed to a place of mercy, man. It says in the scriptures there, Jesus says that he takes pity on this guy. In other words, the king, the king chose to die to himself, bro. The king chose to die to everything he was rightly and justly owed. Yeah. The king chose to die to his very own business of bookkeeping, man. Yeah, he um, absolution, uh, the idea of absorbing forgiveness can only happen if someone absorbs a wrong. You have to eat it. You have to take it. It's like a fastball to the ribs, you know, like you could go charge the mound, right? That would that would feel very, very natural to go do that. There is a, a justice in that. There's an eye for eye, right? A tit for tat kind of nature. 
you know, I did, to that. That. I did that when I was a young ball player. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Um, but in order for forgiveness to happen, someone needs to absorb the wrong and the old, what goes around comes around, right? That cyclical, like yep. just, you know, the playing out of justice actually just stops dead right at the foot of the cross. And you come to find out how this King actually settles accounts. He settles accounts by closing the books forever. It's the final word. The final word on all of it is the literal life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the cross because you can never point at anything and say it was never treated with the fairness and justice that it deserved, but you can never point at anyone and say that you're not forgiven and loved. Yeah. It's literally yeah, I mean, this insane historical thing that God did. And he gave us this story to grab onto. So our like, you know, we want this evidence. We want this tangible, right? Like thing. And it's yep. like, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth was a person. The cross happened. The body couldn't be right presented. The resurrection happened. Yeah. The happened. center of the Christian story, the Christian life, Christianity is not you <laughs> and a God yeah. who exists, you know, uh, like like Santa Claus to to grant all the things that, that you that you desire if you behave and do well and perform your best. The center of Christianity is a cross because at the center of humanity's need is resurrection. And it's all of us, dude. Mm-hmm. Everyone. There's not a single person that's ever lived or will ever live that doesn't need this, who does not butt up against this. And I think we forget this because like we read this story and, and when we read this story of what God is like. And what he's invited us into, which we'll get to, is I think we we forget to notice like the servant did nothing more than ask for grace to receive grace, right? This guy that accrued all this debt, who's supposed to be going to prison, and rightly so, it's in that moment that he pleads for mercy. All he does is ask for grace to receive grace, which makes me wonder like like where our obsession with restitution processes comes from. Like there, like there's this list that needs to be completed in order for forgiveness to flow. Where does that come from? Because that's not what we see in the story here. But then, of course, as we follow the story, we also realize that this servant um, is a law-loving bookkeeper himself, right? Yeah. He's a he's a progress-seeking bookkeeper, man. But he's and a he forgiven seems, bookkeeper. For sure. But it's like he seems to think that he received grace, forgiveness, because of his offer to repay his debt which we see in verse 26, he has no real notion of grace. He has no real notion of forgiveness. He, he doesn't understand, especially unconditional grace. It's almost like there's a switch that goes off in his mind that thinks that, that he's been granted forgiveness because he promised to repay it. He doesn't realize, no, that's not what happened. Oh, I get the what you're saying. The king chose to extend grace because he asked for grace. Had nothing to do with his, with his uh, promise to repay it because the king doesn't ask for that. It's simply... Right forgiven. So I'll die thought, to myself and grant this to you. So your thought, your thought still, um, it, it allows what I'm saying too, is that even though he doesn't understand it, it's yeah. still true. Like the oh, King for still sure. forgave him. Yep. So when we find out what he does after this little trial here, this moment where he's summoned and he gets this just like crazy amount of debt, an insane amount of debt, completely just wiped he walks the king knows a losing proposition when he sees one dude if you're a guy that can grant one dude working for you three and a half billion in debt you can like hand that to him you know what i mean this is a pretty big operation here this this king knows a losing proposition when he sees one i don't think he's moved by the promise of repayment he he won't he he'll he won't even play with it right he won't hear of it 
You won't right. enter, even enter into it. Instead, which, it's it's forgiven, which is, you know, the whole um, if you've been in and around uh, Christian circles, you'll know that the debtor's ethic is a very real um, yeah. m- motivating factor in the Christian life. You know, you'll, you'll hear something like because he sacrificed so much, you know, like mm. let's give our lives, you know, to him. Um, it, yep. it doesn't it, this this offering doesn't compare to the offering you gave but it's the least I can do because of what you've done, you know, for me. And I'm not saying that there's not a responsive reactionary thing going on there. Forgive as you've been forgiven, but that can quickly turn into its own form of bookkeeping. Right. And, and comparing and managing, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, It's uh, just, it makes, as I'm just thinking about it, man, I just, I, it's hard for me to move past the, like what this servant goes and does, right? Like, like he's, he's merciless, man. And how he goes after making money after he's been granted this forgiveness. Oh, it's, it's absurd. It's like, it's meant to be like, you know, like pulpy and absurd, you know, it's just ridiculous. It's it's shocking to the system when you see it. And I think that's exactly why Jesus unpacks it that way. And it's gotta be just his complete lack of comprehension to the fact that the King willingly chose to die to his whole life of bookkeeping to meet this servant where he was, but the servant is unwilling to die to his life of bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. He's unwilling to die to his effort to justify himself, to find his enoughness, as we've talked about, right? This religious thing that's in all of us to, to obtain his significance and status and the security that he thinks he's due and should have and should be. He's unwilling to let go of it. He's unwilling to die to the project of self. Yeah. Just as the king was willing to do for him, he won't do for others. And instead, he's merciless, dude. He leaves and he runs out, right? He's choking people, man, putting them in prison, demanding money, dude. Like he's just, he's clueless as to what the king has done to meet him where he is. And he's then merciless towards others. Hmm. So you yeah. did, you're talking about a parable that's not just about what God's like, but man really starts to really reveal in, in, a, in, a, in a very, like very tangible light what we're like, man. Oh, I think this whole commentary is on who we all naturally are. Yeah. While we claim Jesus and hope and morality and love and, you know, the just mercy crowd, you know, I'm always like, do the people, I I know some people, man, are from the just just mercy crowd. And I'm like, they're the most merciless people I know. (laughs) Just, I think, yeah, I think what he's saying is like, all of us just suck at being forgiven. Yes. Yes. I think we, I think we've all been given. I think this forgive it, this forgiveness, this insane forgiveness comes not just to one person, um, yeah. but to all of us, I think the announcement of the gospel is you are forgiven. Yeah. Right? That is, that is the, that is the judgment that God's delivered to the world of one of no condemnation. Your sins are forgiven. Not they might be forgiven, but they, they are, are forgiven. Yeah. And then as forgiven people, we just find ourselves constantly slipping back into modes of fairness, rightness, yep. um, earthly justice, yep, yep. bookkeeping, and all those scorekeeping. Come in, man. We do it. Yep. They're going to get away with this. Uh, you know, this is going to cheapen this. This is going to give them excuses to abuse this. This is going to result in an unchanged life. Therefore, this is going to result in an unchanged world. I mean, right. We, we start making all of our list up, man, as to why we are right to demand justice instead of extend the forgiveness we ourselves have also received. 
Yeah. Because this servant, dude, he's like I said, we've already talked about it. he's merciless, bro, and how he goes about this. And the people are grumbling, right? They're going, wait a minute. We know, we know the forgiveness that you received from the so king. It was, a very pu- it was a very public thing. Everybody yeah. knew. Yeah. We know this. And yet you're out here doing this to us. And dude, that's where the king gets irate, right? It circles back, man. He's like, what? And we see that right there in the story that Jesus tells. And it's not pretty, man. Like, it's not It's not pretty. It's not good. It's, there, there's this, and, and I see it, you know, we've talked about it already, but we see it in ourselves as well, man. Like, we struggle to pass on to grace other people that have wronged us. We damn mercy and demand justice. It's, it's as if we like come out of the womb believing, believing that, that, that God is not at the center of our everything, Okay. And instead, we are. God's not at the center of everything. We are. And in our me-centricity, <laughs> you could say, this belief that we exist independent of the Christ who is life, it starts to shout when things don't revolve around us or go as we think. And we think that we're just and right in this. It's, it's why we, like Peter and the disciples that we were just reading in the earlier context, want to know how many times do we need to forgive? I just want to make sure because I've, I've got a list going on over here and I just want to make sure I get it right. They want to know that, dude. The same reason why we want to know that. Yep. And if you if you feel that if you have felt in your life that the way God forgives is impossible to replicate relationally, if you have come to the precipice of your own just abilities, right, to... Mm actually extend this and you have looked out farther into the horizon and have seen God's love still, but it has no end. You are understanding the forgiveness of God correctly. You can, we cannot forgive like he forgives. We don't have the capacity for it. Uh -uh. We, it, it truly is. It's like when Paul describes the love of God in Ephesians, he like prays for the church at Ephesus. And he says, Man, I'm going to pray that you would understand the length, depth, width, height, breadth, right? All all these adjectives just to describe spatially, like just to get an idea of how big and how massive the love of God is. And he uses every like every adjective possible. And really what he's saying is he's saying 70 times 7. He's saying no it is a black hole. It is something you cannot put your your wrap your arms around. And right. so this whole idea of like, well, we should love like God loves, or we should forgive like God forgives. Dude, if that doesn't cripple you or bring you yeah. to the end of your virtuous rope, then you are not getting it. Yeah. You are not getting it. This, pa- Which I this think parable should cripple us, dude. It should humble us because we are yeah. not loving people compared to a loving God. No, no. And, and I think there's a beauty in that. There's an invitation yes. in that. Yeah. Right. We hear that and we're like, yeah, man, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to strive. <laughs> yeah. You know play, I mean? Pull yourself up by your boots. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to climb that ladder. And it's like, no, dude, most of Jesus's teachings are designed to create a crisis of capacity in you. Mm-hmm. They're designed to bring you to the end of your virtuous rope because it's at the end of yourself that you find life. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to die. In other words, it's an invitation to get lost in the life of Christ, who is life, mm-hmm. not to use him to find life, not to right. use him to better our lives, not to use him so we can improve life and other people's lives. No, the invitation is to get lost in him, who is life, mm-hmm. because it's in that dude that his faith becomes our faith, his righteousness, our righteousness, right? His love, our love. His forgiveness, our forgiveness. It's a work that's flowing in and through us. That is a beautiful invitation, man. That is literally what it means to be alive. 
Right. And we miss it in the face of religious nature misses it in the face of how he forgives. It should lead to our death, which leads to trusting in him alone. The whole Peter's whole, should I forgive up to seven times is the best you could conjure up. If you view Jesus as merely an example, not a savior. If, if you're, if you think the Christian life is Jesus as example, you're probably going to only come up with the number seven, but the key and the pathway to understanding Jesus as a savior is understanding that it's 70 times seven. Mm, That's good. That's good. We don't need a guide. We don't need no a mentor. Guides. We don't need an example. No That's not who he is. Right. And I'm Nor saying, did he ever say he was that? Exactly. Right. He's trying to bring us again. Yep. To the end of our virtuous rope. We say it in a lot of ways. Crisis yeah. of capacity leads you to your death. Right. We say, we say the yeah. same kind of concept, like of just yeah. a throwing up your arms in the air saying, I'm never going to be as good as you. So I might as well yeah. die to the whole pursuit of trying to be good and cast myself yes. wholly onto your goodness, your righteousness, your love, your forgiveness, and saying, that's all I need. And I'm grabbing hold Mm. of it by faith. That's it. And it's going to be what's needed, man. Because when you stand a bunch of people who think that they are at the center of the universe, okay, or or at least let's just say the center of themselves, the center of their own lives is that they're somehow existing independent of Christ to his life. When you stand all those people up against each other in their me-centricity, they're going to bump into each other. That's what people do. There's going to be strife. So there's going to be anger. There's going to be bitterness and there's going to be frustrations. And you know all these things are going to come out and there's going to be this demand right, for justice and this desire to really wonder like, man, how many times do I need to forgive because my sense of justice has been violated? And I think what we have to realize is at the core of our discord isn't a sin against each other. I'm going to say that again. At the, at, the, at the core of our discord is not a sin, okay, against each other or sins that have been committed against us. If you want to just say that you're strictly only just, okay, the victim. At the center of our discord, bro, is a sin against God. Mm. We see that in the scriptures. We exist in him. Our act against someone, okay, against someone else, our discord, our, our, uh, our sin against someone else is ultimately a sin against the one in which they live. And it's him, okay, who chose to die to his whole just operation of bookkeeping to meet us where we are. And then we're wondering why we don't have harmony with each other. And it's because we refuse to also die to ourselves so that that same grace and forgiveness could flow through us. And it's in and through that, dude, that we find relationships. We find meaning. Hmm. We find, we literally learn what it means to be human, man. It's yeah. So in this parable, you have a man in debt who pleads with the king for his debt no. to be forgiven. And the thought I had this past week in looking at this passage is at the cross, we find the king, right? Not a, mm-hmm. a man who's pleading with the king for debt to be forgiven. But at the cross, we find the king of all kings pleading with his dad and his father for our forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this is what God does. He doesn't wait for us to ask or plead before we go looking for this forgiveness or before we go looking for this absolution before we even realize that we need it. I think the, the work of Jesus is saying to the world, you are forgiven. And the horror of this passage is the harsh dealing of those who have tasted this forgiveness in the face yep. of their own sin, but insist on con- like consistently just ignoring it. Yep. Refuse to die to themselves. They refuse, refuse to trust him. Yep. They refuse to, 
I don't know, like walk into the reality of it. Let, let, let the reality of it, like really just truly like crush the heart mm-hmm. um, to deny it act as if almost it didn't happen. You know, yep. like, it, you, like literally you're reading this passage. You're like, bro, don't you know what just happened? And the only thing I can think of is it's almost just like an absolute refusal to even believe it happened. Yeah. Like an, almost like an acting as if it, it it's not there. Yeah. In other words, unbelief. Yeah. Unbelief. You insist on declaring and enforcing condemnation in the face of other sins after you've heard the announcement that God has given to the world in his son, Jesus, no condemnation. John 3, yeah. 17 and 18. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, yeah. but to save it. That is yeah. the announcement. That is the judgment. Yeah. There's, and I like how you brought that up. Like uh, the perfect, you know, parallel to this parable is, is like you said, man, it's Jesus on the cross. The only difference is the cross is a true story, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, yeah a, it's not. It's it's, it's a true parabolic, story. Uh, yeah, but it's not a parable. You know what is it? Is in Hebrews it says it was for the joy that was set before him, right? Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, man, and he's now seated at the right hand of God at the throne, man, with us right? Dwelling in him, his death for our death, his resurrection, right? Is our resurrection. His life is our life. It's in and through him that we dwell because of what he's done. And like the refusal man, of that, the, the unbelief in that, the unwillingness to trust him in that, the, the denying of this reality, man. Mm-hmm. And then, and then going along with our bookkeeping lives. And we go back to that verse we brought up in the context, man, where we choose to bind the earth, you know what I mean? These things, when they're going to be bound in the hereafter. If you want to live by the rule of unforgiveness, it will be bound to you here and it will be bound to you in the hereafter. Yeah. But that's your choice, man. Right. And, but that's not something that you have to choose. Yeah. You don't, you, Welcome the disillusionment if that's you. Disillusionment's not bad, right? We've talked about this. Disillusionment's yeah. good because it means you're moving away from the well, illusion. From yeah, moving away from <laughs> illusion. You're moving um, away from this. This is move away from the illusion that you've been forgiven because you have right theology or because you said some prayer. Move away from the illusion that you have been freely and completely forgiven because you know because of, of some list that you kept, man. Move away from the illusion that if you stick to the rule of unforgiveness, people will be forced to be held accountable and therefore they'll straighten up and fly right. And we can weed out okay, the, the, the evil that's in this world and make the world straighten up and fly right. Move away from this illusion, man. It's death. And most yeah. of all, it's your death, dude. No one suffers from unforgiveness like the person unwilling to forgive. Well, yeah. And also too, it, it's a refusal again to acknowledge that yeah. the, 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 the books have been um, settled. So yeah. here's another way to say it. The word reconciliation, which we love to bring up. It's a mathematical term. That term yeah. reconciliation, it comes from, it's a mathematical term. It's like, we're taking the books. We're making every, right. We're saying, okay, we're all the numbers, all the, like doing everything, this plus this minus this plus this, plus this. let's get to the bottom zero reconciled, right? It all adds up. Mm. Everything's taken into account. Everything's all settled up. The Bible no. says that in Jesus, Colossians 1.18, for in him, Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yeah. Past tense. The math has been done yeah. in Jesus, right? This whole yeah. king in all of his books and his accounts, he chose to settle his account with forgiveness. 
with the reconciling work of Jesus. The books are this parable we're unpacking is all just pointing to what he said he came to earth to accomplish. Yep. And also revealing like what happens when we trust him or not. If you choose to settle your accounts by some other sort of math outside of the death and burial, right. And resurrection of Jesus, then bro, you're gonna (laughs) get that applied to you at the end of your life. Yeah. If that's how you want it, you're going to get it. But here's what's crazy is that's it's not like, okay, our God's folding his arm saying, let's see, let's see who's good and righteous and loving. And let's see who's forgiving and loving. Then they'll be forgiven and loved in the end. Oh, let's see who's wicked and not good. And they'll get what they want in the end. It's all how you relate to this thing God has done. Yeah. He forgives, he forgives before. So the dude's forgiven before he comes back and sees him a second time. He's forgiven before he chokes his buddy out. He's forgiven before he choose to to yeah. do this thing. He's he already already forgiven, forgiven while already he was forgiven. out doing those things. Yes. Proving he did not trust in what had been done on his behalf. Mm-hmm. He was unwilling to relate. Think about that. He was unwilling to relate, man, yep. to the one who forgave. And I, I look at that and I know there are people, man, that feel like they got to cling dude to like justice, make this thing happen. This is what we're supposed to do. And, you know, I'm always hearing, you know, a passage in the old, you know, in the Old Testament that's always, you know, referred to, man. But, but generally, dude, it's 99% of the time in my experience, it's being taken out of context um, as to what's going on there. But also, I'm like, dude, there's the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end, okay? When God was telling the Jewish people who were once slaves, okay, to Babylon, that when they were now in a position of power and were abusing the very we're people, doing the same right? thing that was doing done the same thing, we we're saying, hey, man, act justly. That guy, that your neighbor Walk that you humbly, just stole act from, justly. the great yeah, requirement, as others have called it. Yeah, that guy you just robbed, as in like an actual person who lives next to you right now in the life that they were living. That person you can go to, yeah, go back to him and give back to him what you stole from him. Like justly, man. Have you forgotten like that was also done to you and what it felt like? Which I I fully agree with, just to be clear. But it's like sometimes people are clinging to this man today in, in relation to like the problems that we're facing as a society. And I'm watching this and going, the story doesn't end there because all of that was still driving everybody, both villain and victim in that story. By the way, the ba- you know the Babylonians and the Jewish people they were sw- they were flip flopping back and forth between villain and victim status, and it was all moving to what we just got done talking about, man. A cross. It's all moving to that. It's all moving in in revealing a king who chose to die to what he was justly due to meet us all where we are and inviting us into the very joy of passing that on to other people, man. The only you know, thing, you- the only thing in history that could end the, what goes around comes around in the vicious cycle of yeah. an eye for an eye tit for tat yep. is the historical person of Jesus. Yep. That's it. That's God's answer to all of it. Yeah. And how you do you have relate to, to that? How do you relate to that? How will you interact with this declaration of no condemnation, forgiveness? How will you interact with this thing that's already done, already finished, already been declared over you, already for you, done to you? Like it's beyond available. It is a reality. How will you interact with this king who wished to settle accounts and chose to absorb all the wrong and reconcile the cosmos? which includes you and your neighbor who you're super pissed at. And these crazy other camps of groups of people that you've come to believe are enemies in, you know, your country or whatever. How will you interact with that? I told a a friend 
a week ago that man in Jesus, I think you need to realize that you are free to stop trying to use justice and the pursuit of it as some form of your righteousness, because it isn't. And you are free to also stop using your rally cry for justice as a scapegoat so that you don't have to do the one thing and the only thing that you can actually do. Hmm. Die, to just die to the whole project of you, to get lost in the very life of him who is your life and to find the joy, dude, that comes with knowing that forgiveness, that grace, that love, that belonging, that's unconditional. And then to pass that on to other people so that they too hopefully could experience the only hope this world has, man. If you, when, when you refuse to offer this forgiveness, Jesus is saying, you will not only alienate yourself from life itself, you will never know the power of life at work in and through you either, man. It's only you, bro, that's missing out. It's only you that's suffering. All in an attempt to make something happen that you can't make happen. All in an attempt to fix something that Jesus already dealt with. It's just you, man, that's losing. So go back to verse 14, which is the verse that we first read, man, that sort of went into like the context that then went into the parable. Jesus said it. It is not the will of my father, man, that none of you, that any of you should ever miss out on the party. Choice is yours. Yeah, that's good, man. With that, I think we should wrap up. There was a bunch of stuff I had that I didn't get to. Mostly oh, just yeah, on man. like, you know, horizontally how all this works out. Um, all the different ways that I've wrestled with, you know, forgiveness personally, um, you know, and stuff like that. I had a pretty killer C.S. Lewis quote, but maybe we can just figure out a way to bring that up some other time. Yeah. But I think we've 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 done it, man. This is a good one. Um, hopefully you're wrestling with this in a good way. And hopefully your wrestling leads you to belief and faith instead of choking out your neighbor. Um, yeah. we, we hope, we hope for that. <laughs> maybe for us, because we are fans of flying by the seat of our pants is, uh, and maybe we get back on here dude soon. And maybe there is a part two to this thing. Yeah. Or a last maybe, call or something. Yeah. There is a lot, man, just in regards to how all this can play out. But the more I start to dive into it and want to just like, just start, you know what I mean? Peeling away at it. I just find myself going, Oh man. Or, or we just cling to the heart of what he already said hmm. and realize that all the 50 what ifs aren't going to change the fact that he died to himself to meet us where we are by dying to ourselves we get lost in him and that's literally the harmony we crave the holiness we need that's life man there's no yeah. way around it sorry I didn't, so, mean to, I didn't mean to yawn there i forgot normally if we're just doing audio we can but now we're doing video so i have to get dude, used to that what are we gonna do if everybody who's watching this realizes that you yawned I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully they take heart this passage. <laughs> Amen. Hopefully you right, take man. heart knowing that I'm not, I'm not yawning. I'm not yawning at you. That was an yeah. amen. It was a, amen. It was a yawn of amen. But so until, until next, next time. time. Cheers. cheers.